0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. We are continuing in our series for Advent. It's called The Greatest Gift. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Advent, let me just give a brief explanation. don't want to take for granted that everybody knows uh, about this language and what we're talking about. The word Advent, it comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival, and so that's pointing to Christ's coming. Uh, Advent is normally celebrated the four weeks before Christmas. It's a time to focus our hearts and minds on the beauty and importance of the incarnation. Uh, Incarnation is the... A theological term used to describe what happened when Jesus, the eternal son of God, co-equal person of the Trinitarian Godhead, submitted himself to be born of the Virgin Mary so that he could walk this earth as we do, experiencing temptations like we do, but never yielding to them. And then by living the perfect life we couldn't, Jesus was able to step in and die the death that we should have by laying himself down as the last and only sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Christ, the anointed one sent to save his people from their sins. Advent prepares us to celebrate his arrival with the proper reverence and wonder it deserves. So we are contending this Advent season for this truth, that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given or received. You see, unlike the fictional portrayal of St. Nick bringing gifts, Jesus himself is the gift. However, because of who Jesus is, there are always additional and beautiful benefits that come from receiving him by faith and receiving the gift of relationship with him. Last week, we talked about the fact that With the coming of Jesus, true peace was made available to mankind. This week, we're going to see that because Jesus came, there is real hope for all people. Uh, Thank you to the worship team for playing that first song for us and preparing our hearts for this. Uh, As I often tell you, we didn't coordinate that. The Holy Ghost does all that in the background, which is pretty cool, so thankful for that. Um. As promised, I'm going to present some other gifts for consideration so that when we claim that Jesus is the greatest gift, we have at least taken a look at the competition for comparison. We don't want to make unsubstantiated claims here at Love City Church. We want to make sure we give everyone else a fair shake. So what I did is research the hottest gifts of 2018, and Google led me to a top 10 list on Amazon, so that's where I'm pulling this from. Uh, Last week, I told you about the Hamilton Beach Quesadilla Maker, which is a very hot item this year. This week, we are looking at a Vodham chai tea private reserve trio for $30. So this is a chai tea sampler, and this is the only one that made me a little nervous, that it may indeed be the greatest gift. And once I read this to you, you'll understand why I was nervous. Okay, so here's the description of this uh, one of these hottest gifts of 2018. Uh, this exclusive tea sampler is Oprah's Favorite Things 2018. We're already in trouble. A mesmerizing gift with three gold tin caddies filled with award-winning teas and packaged in a luxury presentation box. Now, if everyone would reach under your seat carefully, you'll find that everyone here tonight gets a chai tea. You get a chai tea, and you get a chai tea, you get a chai tea. We actually couldn't get that pulled off. I didn't have enough time, so next year. Um, also, just this is me personally, I'd like to see the luxury presentation box to see if mesmerizing was an overstatement or not, because mesmerizing to me, I mean, it's going to have to be one of, the, you know, one of those deals where like, if you look at it, the, sh- the shapes kind of change. Something real special is going to be happening with that presentation box to mesmerize me. So uh, it goes on. Curated by Oprah Winfrey. This beautiful tea set has been specially curated by Oprah Winfrey and includes three of her favorite chai teas, ginger chai, marani oolong, and sweet cinnamon chai. The perfect holidays and Christmas gifts for women and men. Um, if you've been racking your brain about a perfect gift for me, I just want to say publicly, this is not it, okay? Okay don't get me the chai tea sampler, you'll have wasted your money. <laughs> uh, and that's that, okay? I know this sweater doesn't make me look like I don't drink chai tea, but <laughs> I don't. So <laughs> I've had a dirty chai here. Now, me, me and Dan have had dirty we? Yeah, I, you're the one that told me about that. What does that say? Okay. Amen. <laughs> All right, this last thing I'm going to, I had to, you guys got to hear this. Again, I just want you to know why I was a little nervous that this one may be giving Jesus a run for his money on being the greatest gift. This is from John L. This is a review that he wrote. (laughs) Okay. This review is for the Imperial Himalayan White Tea. Just want to clarify, as I have noticed in some areas of Amazon, I see reviews that are not necessarily grouped with the specific product I'm viewing. Anywho, I just received it yesterday, and I have to say, I was floored by it wowed, delighted, titillated, enchanted, knocked my socks off, these types of things. This tea is simply sublime. It has unbelievable flavor and makes me feel really good as well. I can't wait to get home from work to make more. I will certainly be ordering more of this awesome tea. Um, I'm going to guess that John has an exceptional vocabulary but also doesn't get out much. based on his review of the chai tea sampler. Specifically, the Imperial Himalayan white. Let's not get that mixed up. Okay. Even though it may be nervous, I think Jesus still has the the chai tea sampler beat as the greatest gift, uh, even in 2018. So, all right. Um, We're going (laughs) to push off from that. And uh, we're going to be in Luke 1. I hope you're at verse 26. That is where we're going to start. We're going to read through verse 56. That's a lot of verses, but we like to read big portions of scripture. Uh, I do that a lot, but especially this time of year. And that's to immerse ourselves again in the story of our redemption. It's also, it's really important for us to have more than a general or nostalgic kind of fuzzy recollection of these events uh, because stuff like this that I'm going to share with you right now gets recycled every year. And this is, this is, uh, it, it, is a, it is offensive and it's, it's sharp edged, but I want you to know this is stuff that you're going to encounter. This is stuff that people are reading and we need to know uh, whether this is true or not. There's an article floating around the internet right now that says Jesus was a rape baby. Okay, it's written by a self-proclaimed feminist and former minister in the United Church of Christ. Here's an excerpt of her article. Mary was not a wild child, but a girl living in a rigid patriarchal world who was raped by her husband, a soldier, or some other predator. In the biblical narrative, that predator was God. God the Father overshadowed the child bride Mary, impregnating her with his one and only son, the reported savior of the world. Okay, so there's people out here writing this, reading this, believing this, staying away from Jesus because I think oftentimes we do only have a fuzzy nostalgic recollection of the events. But what I want us to do is, as we're going to read this, it's 30 verses, we're going to read it all, I'm hoping that we will pay careful attention to the details so we can judge for ourselves whether that is a fair or accurate accusation. Okay? I'm in Luke 1, verse 26. Here we go. Now, in the sixth month The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be... Great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Praise God for his word. I don't read there something that fits the characterization we read earlier, my humble opinion. So we're going to talk about the gift of hope being a part of receiving the gift of Christ. But I want to first mention quickly the amazing nature of Mary's response to both the angel uh, and in the song that she sings. Uh, verses 46 through 56, commonly referred to as the Magnificat, is actually a song that Mary sang. She breaks into a praise song uh, as she's talking with Elizabeth about what is happening uh, with her pregnancy in Jesus. So, um, we're... She had just... Been, it was, okay, so this is... I'm, I'm getting hit with it again. we got to think about this. She had just been told she's going to have an unplanned pregnancy, okay, out of wedlock, and it wasn't going to be her fiancé's baby. Okay, so here's the question I think we need to ask. How is her response to both the angel and in the song that she sings, how is, how is her response to joyfully embrace the position of being God's servant? Even if it means a monumental disruption to the path and and plan that she was headed on. How does she respond the way she responds? Here's how Mary did not view her situation through the narrow lens of selfishness, she sees herself as a part of the bigger story what is she singing? She is singing references from the Hebrew Bible, linking this news she's received about Jesus to the history that she already knows. She knew God had promised a Messiah through the line of David to mercifully save his people. And that's why once she wraps her mind around the virgin pregnancy thing, which to be honest, I don't think anyone saw coming, but once she does that, she is filled with joy and gratitude that God would use her to be a part of fulfilling promises that were made to Abraham thousands of years earlier. Those, How do I know that? Well, those are the last words of her song. That's what she's referring. The last things she says as she's singing the song of praise is, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So what is she talking about? What promise to Abraham does Mary see as being fulfilled in Jesus, the baby in her womb? So we're going to dig into that. Why, why does she connect those dots? But I just want to give you a, a, a trigger warning here. Um, it's not really a trigger warning. I just figured I'd get your attention if I said that. But it is a warning. Before we go any further, this is the rest of the sermon is not one you're going to be able to like hop in and out of in terms of attention. I'm going to build something here. So I need you to jump in here. We're going to get in the deep end a little bit, so everyone put on your gospel floaties, all right? We're going to jump in. But there's gold in this, and this matters deeply. This, this is what was in the mind of Mary as she's processing the fact that she is pregnant with the Messiah, okay? This is what she ties it to. These are the dots connecting in her mind. The last thing she says is to Abraham and his descendants forever. He's talk, she's talking about the promises God spoke to Abraham. So what, what is that? What is she thinking of How does she see Jesus fitting in? Okay, I'm going to read you uh, a fairly decent chunk here of Genesis chapter 22, okay? This is where Abraham is called to offer Isaac. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you.' Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together." Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.' And he said, "'Behold, the fire and the wood, "'but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' Abraham said, "'God will provide for himself "'the lamb for the burnt offering, my son.' So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "'Abraham, Abraham!' And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided." Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Here is what was in Mary's mind. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. That is the promise. Those are the words Mary's singing about that were said to Abraham and his descendants. Now, if you go back, backwards from this point in the history to Genesis 3, you'll see the same language of seed come up, right? That's when God is doling out consequences for uh, the rebellion of our first parents. Uh, He addresses Satan and says, her seed, talking of Eve's seed, is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his knee, but heal. But he's going to crush your head. Then in Genesis 15, little before what we just read, God tells Abraham he will have a son. So the first thing he's got to believe is that God's going to be faithful to give him Isaac in the first place. But God tells Abraham in Genesis 15 that his descendants will be enslaved for 400 years, but that he will punish the nation that holds them. What's that referring to? Well, we see that happen later on when. Uh, Joseph becomes the second in command in Egypt, and then he dies, and then that Pharaoh dies, and then the next Pharaoh enslaves God's people. This is a reference to the Exodus, which the Exodus, being pointed forward to here from Genesis 15, that prepares us to receive the truth about Jesus by showing that the blood of the Lamb protects from judgment and death. If you remember, God instructed his people, all the plagues, None of those work that came down to the last plague where every firstborn in Egypt was going to die. As the death angel came through, God said, wipe the blood of that spotless lamb that you're going to eat with your family. Wipe it on the doorpost. The death angel will not enter your home. And so in that, we see that the blood of the lamb protects from judgment and death. It's almost like God is letting us shake the present box, giving us clues to what's coming. They, they couldn't totally see. They couldn't see all of what God was going to do, but he's laying out and he's foreshadowing. That's Genesis 15. Then in Genesis 22, what we just read, we see Isaac, the promised son, the miracle son that came in Abraham's old age, right? We see him carrying wood on his back up a hill for a sacrifice. We're prepared for the coming of Jesus in that story because we are shown that God will provide the sacrifice needed that, that altar was built for Isaac to be slain on, and yet God provided the sacrifice that he need not die. Then later, 1 Samuel 17, we see a little shepherd boy stand up to a giant warrior named Goliath, who made all of Israel's army cower with fear. This points forward to and prepares us for Jesus, showing that our enemies won't be defeated by swords or spears or our strength, but by God's power through humble servants. All of these things pointing forward to Christ. And then, if you remember from what we read in Luke, there was much mention of David's line, David's descendants. Toward the end of David's life in 2 Samuel 7, we read this promise from God to David, spoken by the prophet Nathan. I'm connecting dots for you. I'm trying to show you what was in. Why did Mary sing this song? How did Mary hear from an angel? Check it out. You're going to be pregnant with God's Savior of the world, which was not your plan. And she breaks into a praise song and is referencing all of God's promises up to that point. What is she seeing? What is she thinking of? These are the things. I'm connecting the dots for you so that we understand how she didn't just freak out, but how she's full of, of joy and gratitude that God would see her as worthy to be a part of this plan that had been unfolding for this long. Okay? This is spoken by the prophet Nathan to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. That's how we know he's talking about Solomon, firstly. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Here's the key. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Does this mean that a physical descendant of David will sit upon an earthly throne for all time? It can't because that would have been proven untrue already. That's not what God is promising. No, what this is doing is pointing forward to the fact that Jesus will come from David's family line and when he's done with his mission, he will sit on a throne that lasts forever because it's a throne above every other throne. It's not an earthly throne. Come on. That's what's happening here. That's the promise being made. And whether Mary even fully understood all of that, she knew these dots connected because she knew the history. That's why she could sing this song in response to being drafted to be the mother of Jesus. Now, some of you who are paying close attention may be wondering, wasn't this sermon supposed to be about hope? And I'm so glad you asked. I told you we had to build something first, and I hope you tracked with me on that. Now, let's let's let the flower unfurl. Mary's song here, I'm contending, is a song of hope. But it's not a hope based on nothing. It's hope based on promises that she sees being fulfilled in Jesus. And friends, this is the way hope is supposed to actually work. We aren't supposed to hope because we are naive, or generally positive, or both. We are supposed to hope because God has proven time and again that he is faithful and powerful and merciful and good. That's why we hope. Mary was thinking back to the history that she knew of all the things that God had said would happen and that he showed up and that he did what he said he would do every time, that he delivered in ways they couldn't have even seen coming, that his hand was mighty and well able to save his people. She was thinking of that story, this redemption story that all of us are tied to. When I say that hope is not supposed to just be fanciful, Romans 5 speaks to that. It says, therefore, this is verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. I'm sure some of the situation that Mary went through as she served God by carrying the baby Jesus seemed like tribulation, but knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Friends, we don't don't have a weak, flaccid hope. Our hope is not based upon what we see or even what we think. Our hope is based upon the power and truth, reliability, and faithfulness of our God who has proven himself over and over again, when he makes a promise. It had been thousands of years since he had promised Abraham what he promised him. And yet Mary looked to that and knew she was a part of something much bigger than herself. Now, I I could see the possibility of somebody thinking, all right, you've, you've shown us that Mary was full of hope because she understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises, but what does it have to do with me today in 2018? What, what does that have to do with me and hope? Let me read you Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 23. Man, this is a lot of scripture, isn't it? I'm happy about it. Galatians 3, 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Mary saw the coming of Jesus as the fulfillment of promises made to Abraham and his descendants. Friends, if you have turned from sin to trust in Jesus, then you are Abraham's descendants by faith. The very same hope that rose up in Mary as she understood what was being unpacked in front of her, that same hope is ours to grab because not only was she a descendant of Abraham, but we are by faith today, that's why he's saying there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer slave nor free. Those divisions are gone. That's never what this was about. Ultimately, this whole thing was setting us up, getting us to the place where every person by faith could become a recipient of the promises given to Abraham. That a savior was coming. A Messiah was coming. That there was a seed coming that through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Praise God. You may be thinking, but what about those who haven't believed the gospel and surrendered to Jesus? And to be honest, that that could be you today, listening. It may be someone that you know and love, and that's difficult, but friend, hear me. There there is hope. If that's you today, there's hope for you. If it's someone that, as we speak of these things, your, your heart is wrenched, knowing that they have not bowed their knee to this good King Jesus, and your heart is hurting by that, there is hope for them as well because. Of these promises, John 3.16 tells us, (laughs) Jesus, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whoever, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Matthew 12.21, quoting the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, says this, in his name, The Gentiles will hope. Far off or near, there is hope in Christ. There is hope for every man and every woman because of Jesus. Praise God. Like Mary, we need to know the history of God's faithfulness to his promises. So that we can both receive the gift of hope and share it with others. We have every reason for hope right now, no matter how dark or difficult our circumstances may seem. And we have hope for the future, knowing there are promises God has made that have yet to be fulfilled. We have every reason for hope. Let me read you. and this, is, this is, Maybe you didn't catch that. Here's what I'm saying. I want to make real plain what I'm saying because of Jesus, we have every reason for hope right now. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what the challenges are. It doesn't matter how overwhelming it seems. We have hope because of Christ. And when we look at the odds, when we look at the problem, when we look at what happened, that mankind sinned and rebelled against God, that we distance ourselves from him through our rebellion, but that God was faithful to answer that from generation to generation. He unpacked this beautiful plan of redemption. God has handled that. He's been faithful to absolutely everything he has said. He has worked by the power and might of his sovereign hand all that he has declared. We can be confident that even right now when we don't see all the details of what he's working. Friends, when people were wiping blood on their doorposts so the death angel didn't come in during the exodus, they didn't understand. They didn't see the fullness of what that was representing. They didn't see the whole plan. But what they had right then was enough Evidence that God was worthy to be trusted, that they took it. And because of it, their families survived. And because of it, they, they played their part in that redemptive plan unfolding. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. I can 100% guarantee you, ladies, God will not be coming to you asking you to carry uh, another Messiah. That job is done. Mary handled it. Can you say amen? Amen. But every single one of us, Every single one of us has a purpose and is a part of this redemptive plan. Wherever it is you came into this thing, God has a plan and purpose for you. And we need to have the same response. Behold the bondservant of the Lord as Mary did. I'm going to read you. That's us having hope for now. I'm going to read you something that should spark hope for the future. I'm in Revelation 21. This is the vision of John. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new and he said, "Write." For these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We've got reason for hope right now because of all God's goodness that we've seen, and because of that, we have no reason to doubt that these precious promises, this heavenly vision that he has pulled back the curtain and let us see, there is a day coming where every tear will be wiped from every eye where there will be no death and no mourning, and every effect of sin will be totally vanquished. And so we hope now, and we hope for then, and in the meantime, we stand in the place of faithful hoping, not only for our own situation, but so that we may share it with others. There is reason for the hopeless to hope. And the reason is Jesus. Jesus came just as was promised to seek and save the lost. And Jesus is coming again to put an end to Satan and sin and all their effects. This is where our hope is found, Love City. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. May we be a people who receive the gift of hope through faith in Christ, and may we share it liberally for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. Thank you for these verses. Thank you for your diligence in recording redemptive history so that we can come back to it. God, help us not just to glance at these things even once a year, but God, help us to immerse ourselves in the truth that you've revealed to us. Number one, so that we are not easily blown to the left and right by every false doctrine that comes along, but also so that we can stand giving an answer for the hope we profess, but with gentleness and reverence. God, help us. Help us fill our hearts and minds with hope because you have been faithful. You have been inconceivably merciful. You have gone so far above and beyond what anyone could expect from you, a holy, perfect God, dealing with imperfect, rebellious, oftentimes stiff-necked children. God, you've been good to us. You have been so good to us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all of these verses today. There was many. We thank you that every one of them is true. We thank you, Lord, that we can track the progress of your plan of redemption. That you showed your hand all the way back in the garden when you spoke to the serpent and told him there was a seed coming that would crush his head. You showed your hand again when you began to make promises to Abraham that he would have a son. You put him to sleep and you made the covenant with yourself that you would be faithful to him. You showed your hand, God, when you had Isaac carry that wood on his back up the hill, but then you provided another sacrifice. And then you declared that there was a seed coming through those descendants that was going to be a blessing to all the nations. Lord, you showed us what you were doing. You let us peek forward when you had those Israelites cover their doorposts in that lamb's blood. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that even though wise things are hidden, Lord, you've shown us enough. Thank you that by the time that angel Gabriel visited Mary, you had shown enough that she was able to grab onto that hope and understand that she was a part of a redemptive process, a plan that you've been working to save us, to redeem us, to purchase us, to have us. We thank you, Lord, that You have this vision that you revealed it to us through John of us and you forever. This whole thing, every single pain, every single thing that would cause us to doubt for even a second that you are as good and wonderful and merciful and majestic as your word says you are. Every single thing that would cause us to doubt that, God, you've answered it. Lord, may we look forward to that great and glorious day. But in the meantime, Lord, help us. Help us to understand that now we are a part of what you're doing. That if we have been granted repentance, if we have been brought into your glorious kingdom, it was not just to take up space, but that you have a mission and a job for each of us, a purpose. Thank you that that's true. That we are not called to idleness in your kingdom. Lord, help us. Help us to stand fast in hope. God, if we're being honest with you, sometimes that's hard. There are times when we let go of hope. There are times that we do not retain the truth that would help us to stand in that hope. We ask you to forgive us for that. We ask you to help us by the power of your Spirit to do better. Lord, help us not only to hope and to rejoice in salvation, but also in tribulation, knowing that tribulation gives us an opportunity for perseverance and that that perseverance develops character. And all of that gives way to a hope, a proven hope, a hope that we can enjoy and share. God, we love you. We thank you. We worship you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.